everybody, and welcome back to No Fate, the Terminator podcast. I'm your host, Michael John Petty, and with me is my co-host, Tanner Radwick. And today, we are moving past Terminator 3 and getting into Terminator Salvation, the fourth film of the franchise and the last film of the original uh, timeline, which we'll get into in a bit. But we're really excited about this one, aren't we, Tanner? I'm super excited. This one gets better with every watch through. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I actually have the most notes on this one, I think, out of all the episodes we've done so far. (laughs) Which is amazing, given that Terminator 2 is like one of our favorite films ever. Um, It is, yeah. Briefly, before we get into Terminator Salvation, there's a brief bit of Terminator news that we should definitely talk about. You sent this to me. Apparently, there are plans for a Terminator anime. It's going to be neat. I'm optimistic for it, you know? Um, Yeah, I wonder what timeline they're going to go with on that one, just like we talked about with the horror thing. Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder if if they're doing an anime and then they're also going to do a feature film that's more horror-based, obviously. Right. And just have them either be set in the same timeline or if one of them, or if they're each in different timelines. That that could be really interesting. I also wonder and and hope that the anime takes place in the future. But we'll see. Yes. Well, and I, I hope they can make it mature enough, you know, depending on what their target audience is with this animes, of course can be brutal and, and super, you know, hardcore and everything. But I mean, they can also be easy going for all ages too. So I don't know what kind of route they're going to go with this. You know, I've seen them do different things. Of course they have, they had like the, the animated show for the, uh, what is it? The fast and furious as well. The spinoff for that. Yeah. The one on Netflix, (laughs) right? Yeah. Now, granted, I don't. I can't picture them going like that, kitty with it. But I, of course, the hope would be that they don't go kitty at all with it. I hope it is right. kind of dark and gritty, and um, hopefully, it has a good art style too. Yes, that's key. So, some something to look forward to at least. Yeah, which is really exciting, and it also gives us new content to actually talk about on the show, which will be really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that also, I mean, it does remind me of, well, in terms of art style and whatnot, there's a comic that goes along with Salvation mm-hmm. that kind of finishes out the story. I actually still have not read that. Maybe we'll cover that at some point, but that's something else I need to read. I know you've read it. Yeah, I love it. I've read it twice. And yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely mm-hmm. talk about it on the show because I think it really finalizes this timeline um as -hmm. far as the franchise goes in a way that this film doesn't get the chance to do because they didn't get a sequel yeah sure yeah i'd like to hear your thoughts on it yeah um that being said we'll jump into terminator salvation i did ask on social medias on facebook on twitter for your guys's opinions on terminator salvation and i only got two so you guys are the worst um no i'm kidding but we, uh, <laughs> but we did get a couple of people's thoughts, and I'll just start with our Twitter thoughts. So we have the one ruster saying, do you have an hour? No? Okay, well, I'll keep it brief. A visually great Terminator movie in need of a better story. Additional, at no point is it implied that Skynet knew Kyle Reese was John Connor's father, but Skynet did find out when John Connor told Marcus. Changes to timeline, this Kyle Reese may not be John Connor's father. So that's a really interesting theory from the one ruster, which we'll get into in a bit. And then I got another one from Rob's Gula. I don't know how to say that, so I'm sorry if I missed that uh, pronunciation up. I don't think I've watched an entire Terminator film after T3. Salvation was hard to get into, and I've never tried again. Suppose I'll fire it up. 
Well, we really hope you do before listening to this show, or maybe this show will convince you to watch the movie. I don't know. Or watch the Sarah Connor Chronicles, because I have a feeling you'll like it. True. Very, very true. So Terminator Salvation is the second film in the franchise that was produced by Warner Brothers Pictures. It was also done by the Halcyon Company, which was a feature film company that actually went bankrupt not long after this movie. They bought the rights to the Terminator franchise and then sold them again in 2012, thus bankrupting themselves, saving themselves a little bit. Um, and that's when Terminator Genesis began production after the rights were sold. Mm-hmm. But originally, there were plans for at least two, probably more sequels with this film. So McGee, is the, who is the director, normally a producer, but he directed this film along with the guys who wrote Terminator 3. Um, they came back and, and wrote the screenplay for this, as well as Jonathan Nolan, who is Christopher Nolan's brother and the co-writer of The Dark Knight. He did some edit, uncredited rewrites on set and... McGee actually says that he was the one who really did most of the heavy lifting when it came to the story, which is really interesting seeing as he doesn't even get a credit, but that's how the WGA works, I guess. So Hmm. that's kind of a bummer. Hmm. Another real interesting tidbit is that Sam Worthington got the role of Marcus because he was personally recommended to McGee by James Cameron after James Cameron worked with him on Avatar. So there's a cool James Cameron connection, even though he's not involved in the film at all. Well, and this being the second one done by Warner Brothers, I I, I was kind of like watching this and really seeing some parallels to some of the DC movies as well mm-hmm. um, in terms of style and tone. And I, I think it works really good for this franchise, especially in that future setting. Yeah. Of course, we don't get as much of the dark scenes that we'd like in terms of the daylight and whatnot. There's a lot shot at, at, in the day, which is odd, um, being that the future we know is only nighttime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But in terms of the tone, it, it works so well. And I, I always go back to this one just being really beautiful in terms of some of the, some of the scenes that, that it has here. I think the CGI actually ages pretty well for the most part. There are some scenes that I think don't. Yeah. But it looks pretty dang good for most of it. And I like the tone. I totally agree. I, I really love the world building that this film does. I love that it just throws you into this post-apocalyptic wasteland. I just love post-apocalyptic movies in general, and especially ones we that are in... We both do. Yeah, we both do, and especially ones that are in, like, desert settings. We've mentioned Mad Max Fury Road on the show before, and having just rewatched that, I just am reminded of how much that setting just works for post-apocalyptic stuff. Yeah, and so the Book of Eli. Book of Eli, exactly. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so part of why I really love Terminator Salvation is I think they do a really good job of actually extending those brief snippets and flash forwards, if you will, into the future that we've seen in the last few Terminator films and really develops its own world. It does a good job of respecting that source material, but it also doesn't shy away from making it its own. And that's part of why I kind of like some of the daylight stuff. Sometimes it's disappointing because... In the future sequences we're used to watching, there's laser guns and it's nighttime and there's this really gritty feel to it that I don't think you get the same um, effect of in this in this movie. I, I think when they mm-hmm. do nighttime sequences in this movie, it feels different than those that we're used to when it comes to Terminator mm-hmm. flash forward sequences. But mm-hmm. I do really love some of the daylight outdoor stuff, especially that whole sequence starting at the gas station and ending when... Marcus and Kyle get separated. I really love that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, it's fascinating to think about had they done, let's say, two more movies continuing this story. It's it's fascinating to think about where they could have gone with that. And yeah. also, you know, they would have ultimately if they could have rounded this out to finally showing Kyle Reese going back in time mm-hmm. to be able to watch it on a loop would have been really fun. And, you know, I would even suggest maybe they can even still do that with an old Christian Bale. Sure. <laughs> Um, you'd have to recast Kyle Reese, but, uh, um, I mean, with what they can do, they could maybe even de-age Michael Bean for that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, yeah, I, uh, it could be really cool, but I, I mean, I doubt they would ever go for that. And I doubt, uh, man, I have a feeling Christian Bale would not want to touch this again if I had to guess, but I could be wrong. Should've... Michael Bean would probably be up, be up for it. <laughs> it's true. Well, Christian Bale was kind of a hard sell on the movie in general. You know, and, uh-huh. as, and especially with what happened on set with his, what it was, an eight-minute freakout. Oh, my goodness. Not good. But, I mean, aside from that, he's great in this movie. It's and true. And I, I love him as an old John Connor. Um, I think they did really well with that part of it. You know, thinking about another two movies that where they could have gone, of, of course we would have started to see that future we're more familiar with, with, you know, T-800s crawling around rather than the clunky T-600s. Yeah. Um, you know, it would have been maybe more nighttime settings, more of what we've seen before in terms of the, the laser guns and all of that. And it would have been cool. That being said, had we had those films, we probably would have also reverted back to salvation and be like, man, I kind of like salvation when it's just like still regular guns and it's still really gritty. We would have had that throwback to like, I'm glad we got a snippet of like the early stages of John still being questioned um, on who he is and whether he's a false prophet or not. Sure. Um, it, it, you know, this entry story is a great launching point, but I'm also glad that at least they didn't leave us on a cliffhanger in terms of um, <laughs> us wondering where where it was going to go. They didn't throw anything funky into the story to where we had any unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, like maybe you would have with uh, uh, The Force Awakens or something like that. Yeah. Um, they didn't leave anything like that. It, this, you know, like it or not, is more of a Ryan Johnson film to where it's a little more self-contained and they yes. did what they wanted to do, but it doesn't necessarily leave you on a cliffhanger at the end um, in terms of uh, a springboard into the next two films. I agree. I also think it's a really interesting choice to have John Connor not be your main character, especially mm. in this mm-hmm. feature sequence. I mean, he, he's certainly the character you follow from that beginning when we get into the future. He yep. is a thread throughout. There's no question that he is a co-lead, absolutely. But Marcus is almost us in this scenario. He wakes up after all this has happened and he's being introduced to all of it the first time for the first time the same as we are. Because whether we have seen flash forwards in previous Terminator films or not, we've not experienced the future in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Given that this whole film takes place in post-apocalyptic 2018. Obviously, it's 2021 now, so we skipped over that. But um, I just think that's a really interesting choice to choose Marcus as our guide throughout the film and not, say, a young Kyle Reese. Um, 
And mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I, I, I really like Marcus. Um, I don't initially. You know, at the be- very beginning of the movie in 2003, he's kind of a dick. Um, and he seems yeah. like a really different character when he wakes up in the future. He, he doesn't seem like the same person. And I guess maybe that was supposed to be a clue from the beginning, given that Skynet says that there's programming um, in him to try and get him to be a certain way and do certain things. And, and maybe that was a something we should have picked up on as an audience, but I always just thought it was inconsistent for the longest time. A little bit. Yeah. In his interview, um, with the doctor who gets him to sign his life away to, uh, science, he, uh, I mean, it's left very vague on what he did, but they tell you enough to be like, this is kind of not a good guy. I mean, he talks about because of him, his brother and two cops are dead. That's really all you get. It's like, what in the world happened? did you get in a chase and like shoot up some cops or something like this sounds horrible yeah i mean but they don't ever touch on that again and from then out he's portrayed as essentially a good character as well you know helping out other people in terms of him being your your view into this world it's certainly an effective tool and it reminds me of there's quite a bit of video games uh quite a few video games that'll do that as well fallout 3 you wake up and you're well, you're born in a vault, and then, of course, you go out in the wasteland. Right. Everyone's kind of telling you about the world that you entered, as well as uh, Rage is another one like that. And there's probably endless ones that kind of let you explore the world in that way and that you plunge into it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it works well in this movie, and I like it a lot. Yeah, I do too. Kind of thinking about some of the, the other beginning of this movie, I guess, going back to him being the bad guy and whatnot, but also setting up for the rest of the film. We always talk about the Christian symbolism in these movies. And of course, Terminator Salvation along there with Judgment Day, you know, two of the really, you know, Christ-like and and symbols uh, titles there. Yep. This was one of the first ones that it really hit me when he's strapped into, and he's about to die, they raise him up to face the viewing screen and he's on a literal cross. He's Mm. not on his hands aren't to his sides or anything when sure i would imagine that's how they normally do it but he's he's stretched out with his arms wide strapped in and they raise him up right before they're about to kill him and they you know talk about last words or whatever it may be now he doesn't say you know (laughs) anything similar there but in terms of his story and whatnot him dying and then being resurrected and then ultimately being resurrected to save john connor as well just some of that symbolism there is fun to pick up on I agree. Consistent throughout this. I agree. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when John has Marcus strapped up after they find out that he's a machine and John uh, says the devil's hands have been busy. And I really like that Mm -hmm. line. I just think it's really cool. Um, It's it's just Mm -hmm. it's not exactly um, symbolism, but it's it's showing this this conflict between John and Skynet where John really does view himself not because he views himself this way, but because he's been told that this is who he's supposed to be as this Messiah-like figure for the human race, that only he knows mm-hmm. what's coming and only he can stop it, um, while at the same time seeing Skynet as the literal devil. You know, that that's yes. how he views Skynet. There's no, there's no compromise. Skynet is the enemy. The machines are the enemy, which is really interesting given John's interactions in Terminator 2 and even Terminator 3 with the Terminator sent back to protect him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially given if you want to try and fit the Sarah Connor Chronicles in there somehow, some way, um, his relationship with Cameron on that show, it just it's very interesting to me um, that this John Connor is very black and white, where 
John Connor's never really been that black and white. Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, mm-hmm. this is a different John Connor than we know. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of backstory here that we don't, um, have, you know, there's what's 15 years, 14 years between the last time we saw him and now. And so there's so yeah. much, um, that could have happened and that obviously we see happen. We see at the beginning of the movie, um, John's friend Barnes, his brother, um, dies as well as his entire unit. His brother's Terry Crews, by the way, which is really funny. Um, <laughs> I didn't notice that. And I had actually had to pause it and I was like, Oh, that dead body is Ted Cruz that, or Terry Crews. That's really funny. Ted Cruz. It's not Ted Cruz. It's Terry <laughs> Cruz. Um, but there's all these people that he's lost and it's yeah. made him very hard and cold and calculated and machine-like, which is interesting because he tells command that they're being too machine-like. And so we, we mm-hmm. see John's journey throughout this movie to being almost who he was in the past in some ways while still mm. trying to hold on to his role as this messiah figure, as this leader um, that's meant to save the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, even in the in the opening text there, they they say that some believe he's a false prophet. Right. Um, You know, more of that that symbolism there. And in terms of him not being able to trust Marcus in front of him as well. I mean, I saw another theory that maybe ties into that in that in T3, when uh, the T850 tells him the story of how he dies, essentially, that he's killed by that model, you know, maybe that. In it, just in him knowing that that changes the future maybe he doesn't get killed by that in the future you know right just with having that knowledge maybe he becomes more protected more uh questioning of the future that's coming to him rather than just the one that his mom had told him about right from kyle who comes from a different future than where he's going to which he finds out by you know encountering marcus and he's confused by what is this you know because right. it is a different future at that point Well, I think the interesting thing about time travel, especially when it relates to Terminator, is that you have characters who know what's what's going to happen. Um, You have characters like John who know what's going to happen. He knows the future. He knows everything his mom told him. He knows all about his dad. He knows all these things. And you have Kyle who obviously doesn't know any of these things. And then you have the audience who's trying to piece it all together and see what has actually changed within the timeline, what is actually still true. And I think what's interesting about that is anything can change. You know, John has this idea of what is supposed to happen. And like you were saying, the T-850 is supposed to kill him maybe one day. And he knows that and then still goes to Skynet to save Kyle. You know, he's already been Mm -hmm. born, but he still feels the need to protect the past, to protect the timeline by saving Kyle Reese, even though he's already been born. And I think that's really right. interesting because it speaks a lot to who John is as a person. I mean, obviously he wants to meet his father, and so there's that, but it speaks a lot to him as a person um, to still and he's a, take those risks. Yeah, and it, I mean, it shows he's aware that these other futures and these other pasts, these other timelines that don't even have to do with him anymore at this point, right. they matter to him. Right. And he has to he has to uphold those. And it's not like it's not like a back to the future uh, time travel scenario where if his dad dies, he'll start to disappear and like won't be able to finish the Chuck Berry song or right. whatever, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, no, it, it's 
it's interesting how these different timeline movies will make you stretch and try and figure it out. It does kind of make you think, though, what does happen? Like, what is Skynet's goal by sending a Terminator back to kill John before he's born or kill John when he's a kid if it doesn't change the future? Maybe it does. Maybe it overrides and rewrites it in some way. I think... Maybe it's not quite it like really Back does to the feel Future, like... but similar. Maybe. Um, it feels like a last-ditch effort to try and renew itself and in a sure. different alternate timeline. Sure. I can't imagine that it would change the current. Because if it, if it were to, then that really would mean that if they were to kill Kyle, then John would just fade away, right. like in Back to the Future. Right. To be consistent with it, at least, I guess. For comparison, had they sent something back to, let's say, stop the blowing up of Cyberdyne, then would we all of a sudden see a more advanced Terminator just pop up out of nowhere because they had that much more time to develop that? I, you know, um, it. I guess it opens up the door for too much of, <laughs> too much of just random changes happening all the time because right. of time travel. Right. I guess in. In our mind, not being able to time travel, it probably does make more sense that they'd send it back. It would create a new timeline for the new future, you know. Mm-hmm. As to Skynet's motives with that, it's kind of a last-ditch effort, I guess. But same for the Resistance, too. I mean, the Resistance doesn't have to worry too much about the timeline changing if they already won. But And yet they still send Kyle Reese back in time. Yet they still send Kyle Reese because they're scared of that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer. Time travel is way, way above my head sometimes. Yeah, and we already have the paradox too. So. Right. <laughs> One of the things I really love about this movie, and it's a, it's a little thing, and there's she's not even credited for it, but I love the Sarah Connor tapes that John listens to. I love that they got him, Linda Hamilton back to do that. Um, yeah. Especially given some of the things she says, I almost feel... She almost sounds more human at times in these tapes than she does in Terminator 2. Yeah. And I think that's really cool for John because maybe Sarah didn't feel like she could be that vulnerable with John in person because she always needed to be preparing him, but wanted to still show him how much she loved him and that she actually genuinely cares. And it's not just that Mm -hmm. he's this leader that she needs to protect. No, he's her son. And I really love yeah. the tapes for that reason because because it helps John. I don't know. I, I, I think it just helps John remember his mom in a more fond way than maybe he would have if he didn't have those. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see him revert back to that in times of need and in times of comfort, in times of self-doubt that's what he's still lying on even after her death he's still relying on his mom and that just you know to her character and how much she means to him and how much she uh supports his success and his mission and everything else you know it really adds to it of course she's probably recording those i would imagine sometime maybe before he was born just because we see her doing that in the first terminator movie when she's more soft and not quite as you know hard on him as well so yeah. Hmm. One of the things about this movie, I always get really into it. I'm really attached to it. Uh, watching through it, I, I, I get, uh, you know, I'm hooked. 
there's a certain point about halfway through where I, I start to lose some of my connection and urgency in the story. And it's, it's every time it's right around the time when Marcus goes back to the resistance base. And from then mm. on, there's still some good moments, but I start to lose some of my connection to it. And I had to really analyze why that might be. I think I kind of got there. What are your thoughts on this one in terms of the general story and how it flows and your attachment to it? Well, I, I, I'd agree. I think I'm completely invested up until, up until Marcus and Blair meet. And mm. she convinces him to go to the base. It, mm-hmm. Their love story at times feels forced, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't always buy it. I do buy that she cares about Marcus. I do buy that he even cares about her, maybe. And I do buy that it could be something in the future. I just I just don't buy how quickly it happens. Maybe I... Amen. In an apocalypse. Yeah, you know, no, you're you gotta, right. You'd probably fall in love pretty quick. <laughs> well, especially if you watch the director's cutscene and you see her topless, you're like, oh, well, she's the one. There you go. Um, no, yeah, I, she puts it out there. <laughs> it's true. I well, and then the whole body heat scene. But I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't disagree with you. I think. But then if you don't have that scene, then he never meets John. And there's a lot. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You need it. You need it. But, I just don't know if you couldn't have done it a better way or made it shorter or maybe John meets Marcus instead of, well, but now I don't know. I like Blair too. So, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. I have an answer on that. For how they went with this story, they obviously have to meet at some point. They, sure. There needs to be that part. What ruins it for me, I guess, when I really sat down and thought about it is it is a, it's a really long drawn out sequence, but it's also a sequence where for me, the stakes are not that high. And hmm. what I mean by that is you're not necessarily that worried about Marcus dying, and you're not really that worried about John dying either. They're kind of worried about – John's kind of worried about that thing killing him. Yeah. And, of course, he tries to kill Marcus kind of. Yeah. But I'm, I don't think that's going to happen when I'm watching it. I'm So in that sense, I'm not too worried about it, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of just watching a clumsy chase scene for the sake of it. And you contrast that with any of the chase scenes in one and two. Um, sure, you're you're thinking, oh man, they're, they're they they can not kill the main character. Maybe you could argue that, uh, just as you know, in, in here as well. But the the way they do those chase scenes, it's a lot more pivotal. This movie, of course, is pivoting on the sense that these two need to survive together to finish out the story. Right. So I guess I'm not as worried about that. Hmm. No, that makes one of the sense. reasons I love the first and the second is just how high the stakes feel. Um, they make the stakes feel very high in one and two. Yeah. I think part and of that's any movie. I, true. I think part of the reason the stakes are so much higher in one and two is because you're not in this future, because this future hasn't happened yet, because mm-hmm. we're either trying to stop it or we're trying to stop it from hurting us. And so, and especially in the first movie, because of its horror influences, of course everything feels higher stakes because the mm-hmm. Terminator is a horror villain and he's coming to kill yep. you. And if and he's never going to stop and he's going to keep going and keep going and keep going until he's dead. And so, and it's the same thing with the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Um, 
Terminator 3, I even think, has fairly high stakes for most of the movie. And then it dwindles down a little bit until they are like, oh, Judgment Day is today, and then the stakes are high again. This movie, I think, does something similar in that there are high stakes at the beginning, especially when you find out there that Kyle is one number one on this hit list. Um, and mm-hmm. then you immediately meet Kyle. So I, I mm-hmm. think there are high stakes at the beginning, but I think you're right. The, this whole sequence at the resistance base, the, the stakes are low. And I don't know if that's meant to help us breathe a little bit. I don't know if that's meant to just introduce characters and introduce this bargain that the two of them make and move on. But it's there. It, it's kind of that lull in the same way that Terminator 3 has the lull between that initial chase with the TX and John and Kate and the T850. And then when they find out that Skynet is going to do Judgment Day today. And so, I don't know. It, it feels very T3 to me in that in that sense. Yeah. Well, and there, there's a few moments in the movie that, that I don't have that same tension that I get. I, it, it, I do feel the tension heavily in the beginning. Uh, the, the part where Marcus and Kyle are, are running away and the, the giant robot is blasting all the vehicles as they try to yeah. get out. It's a great part. Yep. All of those parts, I feel the tension and then I start to lose it there towards the end. There's a part kind of towards the end there where there's uh, they, they arrive at Skynet and there's a T-600 that pulls Kyle out of his cell and we see him again later, and the T six hundred like sets him down on like a medical table before he gets rescued. Mm-hmm. And it's like they, there's this whole part in between that that thing was with Kyle, and it we know that Kyle is a high target. Why didn't it just kill him? <laughs> you know it, what I mean? It doesn't. I mean, it's just it's never made it's sense to me. Yeah, it's never made sense to me why Skynet puts Kyle in a cell. I don't get it. Yeah. Like if he's number one on your hit list, you pull him out of the crowd and you immediately kill him. I don't understand. Yeah. It, they wouldn't yeah. have done that with John Connor. They would have killed John Connor. On the spot. On the spot. And so <laughs> I, I've never bought that. I don't know. That's the one thing about the movie that actually bothers me. The resistance based stuff doesn't really bother me, but that bothers me. And I'm like, I don't get it. Why don't, why yeah. doesn't Skynet would win? Don't don't they know this? <laughs> they have all the characters here to die. <laughs> they could blow literally up their everyone's face here. And win. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, maybe yeah. that's why. Okay, he- hear me out on this one. Maybe that's why the resistance based stuff doesn't feel as um, as heavy because mm-hmm. throughout that whole sequence, Skynet is not around. There are no Terminators around. The, there are only Terminators at the very end on the border of their base and the river. That's it. That's the only time a Terminator shows up. And so there's no immediate, there's nothing chasing them. There's nothing coming after them. And part of that is because after the Terminators took Kyle, they didn't follow Marcus. They didn't care about Marcus. And so there's Mm -hmm. this big lull in the story because they don't know where the resistance base is that John is at. And Mm -hmm. they don't care about Marcus at this point. Really, we should be watching Marcus because he is this Terminator that's actually here with this programming. He's the one we should be worried about in the scene, but they don't actually tell us that until the end, so we're not worried about it. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they have their own little established bases there, and they kind of know exactly where Skynet is. 
it always makes me wonder too. I mean, I know they they say that Skynet is cyberspace and whatnot, but are there just a bunch of those factories around? They almost make it seem like they just have to launch this one attack on that base, and then they're going to win the war. However, there's clearly more to the story after this. Yeah, when they blow up that base. Well, in in the Terminator, the first film, don't they say something about um, Skynet's like? central base is in Colorado, like in the mountains there or something like that. And so... Oh, I don't know. I, th- I think... I feel like it's something like that. Maybe it isn't. I, I feel like there's a mountain base that they storm, and that's it's where... Google. In that's Boulder, where Colorado. John, <laughs> yeah, but that's where John sends Kyle back, is at that base once they've taken it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It's like Cheyenne Mountain or something like that. So if that's the case, then the San Francisco base is only a plant. It's it's more or less a concentration camp, but their headquarters are elsewhere. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it does make that – they do make it sound like that throughout the film that once they launch this attack that that's it, that that's – Skynet's done. But part of, part of the thing that bothers me about the reveal in Terminator 3 that Skynet is cyberspace is once Skynet nukes the world – all those computer servers are gone, so it's limiting itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so it has the means to rebuild it. Right. And, and so when you have this base in San Francisco or you have the Cheyenne Mountain base um, that they captured to send Kyle back, which is apparently its, its main headquarters or whatnot, like that must be the backup drive for Skynet. So once yeah. you start taking all of yeah. those out, you could theoretically actually wipe out Skynet. Yeah. Since there's no internet. Well, and it's lucky that they only have to fight like two Terminators on the Skynet base, you know. Right. <laughs> that part's convenient. Well, it's a factory, <laughs> right? So Yeah. But also, don't doesn't Marcus shut everything down once he's synced with Skynet? That's like oh, a we that's see like him a thing. turn off a turret. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> My one of my favorite lines that I noticed in this movie. Uh, I think it's the first time I noticed it, but it's after Kyle uh, and John they meet up and they're kind of going through, and then John has to get Kyle out of there, and he kind of leaves him on that elevator and sends him up and tells him to you know leave basically. Mm-hmm. And Kyle is freaking out because he just met his idol John Connor. And he says to John, he says, I'm not going to leave you as he's getting raised up on the elevator. And John says to him, you didn't. Past tense. And they don't explore anything in this movie of John having any kind of uh, dad issues or feeling left or anything like that. You certainly get that in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Sure. Um, And I wish that they had something else to kind of like hit on that because it would have made that moment hit a lot harder because that's a fantastic line. Yeah. I loved it so much. You mm. you did you didn't leave me. Like he's like giving this kind of like release and this this forgiveness of like understanding and whatnot. Of course Kyle has no idea. I loved that line. It's the only time I ever noticed it. And yeah. probably because they didn't have anything hinting at John feeling that way or anything, it gets kinda of glossed over without that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that line too. I, and you're right, it does get glossed over because it's so quick and then immediately John rushes in to fight a Terminator and so you don't get that time to breathe mm-hmm. with it. But I really love it too. I, I They don't explore that in any of the other movies. In Terminator 2, Terminator 3, they don't talk about... Like John knows who his father is and he understands, but he doesn't seem to really have an issue with not having him there. 
because he gets he gets it. Um, no, yeah. The only thing that even the comes only... close is the Uncle Bob Terminator in Terminator Two, who's kind of like the father. Exactly. Figure. Yeah, you barely hear John talk about it in T Two when they're underneath the truck, kind yeah. of just talking about man, I don't meet my dad until I'm like thirty five or whatever, and. They only had one night together that kind of like reminiscent stuff, but you don't necessarily get a sense of like he felt left or abandoned. Right. However, you do somewhat feel that a little more in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. It gets yes. explored more and he's very much more attached to that, which is great. And I love that they explore that more and you can really do that with a TV show and you can dive into it. And probably because I've watched that, it made that line hit a lot harder in Salvation, which I liked. Well, you can try and fit the fit the Sarah Connor Chronicles into the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Good try. Um, yeah, actually, you can't. That's not even true because John no, meets you can't. John meets Kyle <laughs> at the end of that. Anyway, um, spoiler alert. But um, spoiler alert. Yeah, I love that line. That's a really, really good line. I'm glad you brought it up because I kind of always forget about it. And it is so powerful, and it really speaks to how John views his dad. Um, he, he doesn't mm-hmm. view him as, as an absent father, an absent figure. He he views him as a soldier and as almost kind of the way the world views him, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, John, mm-hmm. they view John as this messiah, as the savior figure who's come to save the human race. And for John, that's always been his dad. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. The father and the son. Yep. Another uh, another Christian allegory there for you guys. Okay. Here, you... Here's a here's a thing. How does yeah. that giant Terminator that takes Kyle, um, the the big one, the big machine at the gas station, how does it sneak up yeah. on that gas station? <laughs> I'm sorry. How does that thing that. <laughs> sneak up on the gas station, which is in the middle of nowhere? Like you yeah. would hear that coming. The big transformer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what year did this come out? This came out after Transformers, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a couple years after. Yeah. There's definitely similarities there, especially on the chase scene with the bikes and stuff, yes. too. Feels a lot like that. The bikes are awesome. The Guns and Roses drawing in the bikes yep. is awesome. It's, it's one of my favorite parts, too. You see him pull out his little hacking computer, which I'm is in. reminiscent of him him doing the credit card steal yep. in the first one <laughs> or the second one. That's something about it's John fun. Connor I think gets consistently overlooked. He actually can hack. He's actually yeah. very good with technology. He is. Well, and they explore that even more in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yep. Man, Sarah Connor Chronicles are good. For, all, so for anyone good. listening who hasn't seen it, you need to start getting on that because... It's friggin' good. <laughs> it's so good. The amount that they explore the characters is just... It's amazing. They do a really good job. Some other throwbacks with it, though, they also have the fuel cells that we get to see in T3. Yep. Which is kind of a continuity you know. error. Because those weren't uh, put into the models until the T850s. I guess it might make sense that way, because you would think one would blow up if it got crushed in a... Uh, yeah. In the factory in the first one. Yeah. So, yeah, you could be right there. So that seems like an error to me, but that's fine. <laughs> did you notice they made the T-800 vision look better in this one? Yes, they did. It looks sweet. It looks a lot better, 
but I also would have been super excited had I seen it in like the old <laughs> in the, with the old looking one that's all crappy. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, oh, it's a throwback fan service. <laughs> <laughs> I also really like the uh, the T vision for the snake things that are in the water. Oh yeah, which yeah. is all black. It kind of reminds me of the first film where the T-Vision is mm-hmm. so hard to see anything out of. And I'm like, ah, that seems like a throwback a little bit. <laughs> Let's talk about that fight at the end. Yeah, I'd love to. I love... The end sequence of this movie is probably, next to T2, my favorite. Interesting. Yeah, I actually watched it again 15 minutes before we started this because uh, I watched the movie and then I just wanted to watch that scene again because I had some extra thoughts on it. And um, I like it a lot. There's some super good parts in it. Um, and then there's also some parts of it that just, again, I kind of go back to the stakes don't feel high enough mm. in compared to these other movies. Sure. Um, when I was watching it, uh, I am happy that the T the T eight hundreds entrance is one of my favorite parts of this movie. Yes, and seeing it menacing again, seeing it, I think the CGI Arnold actually looks good. I, I don't do know too. about you. I do too. I think it looks really good, and so I, I would even argue. I think, I think, of course, it's pretty quick, but I think it looks better than some of the parts of where it's just a T eight hundred fighting. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's harder to do as well. That machine moving around with fluid movement and everything. It's hard. Um, but yeah, no, I'm happy that the T 800 is menacing again. It comes out and we get that classic, uh, uh, theme going when mm-hmm. we see Arnold step out. It, it gets me every time. I love that part. I guess where it, it feels like the stakes are not as high for me. I kind of go back to T2 because that's, of course, what we're both comparing it to here in terms of the ending factory fight scene, right? Sure. Um, in T2, we kind of have these different sections cut out that really build up to this final moment. And in T2, of course, we see we see the T-1000 get, get shattered apart. There's this moment of relief, but then when you start to feel it come back, Oh my gosh, how are they going to stop this thing? They can't stop this thing. It's menacing. It's slowly walking, following them through here. Arnold tells them to leave, go on, I'm going to fight this thing. And we see him fight it and lose an arm. The stakes are high. We're losing the battle. Right. You know? Um, This thing follows Sarah, and Sarah gets John away for a brief moment, and then it stabs her through the shoulder, and she's screaming, and, you know, the they're losing (laughs) Arnold comes to save her for a brief moment. And then he just gets smashed and watching him get, you know, rammed with that thing stoically contrast that with Marcus getting rammed. That's a similar scene there. However, Marcus of course is a more human model. So he's screaming and whatnot. I guess for me, it was actually in a sense, oddly more dramatic to see a stoic Arnold Schwarzenegger get rammed as he's just this obsolete machine compared to the T-1000. Yeah. Then finally he just di- just straight up dies. <laughs> um, the way they build that is just so good. Contrast that, I guess, with the, the factory fight scene in this one. It's a lot of, it's a lot of the Terminator throwing the characters around. Yeah. He has access to him right there, but he kind of like throws them. Um, it's a lot of, 
the Terminator getting shot with grenades that kind of like throw him back sometimes. It, it feels a little more fluffy. It's not these cutout segments that really build to this pinnacle that keep the stakes feeling high and keep um, the bad guy winning, essentially, to be intimidating until the final end where it loses. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think part of the reason is because in Terminator 2, you have Sarah and the Terminator are protecting John, whereas in this film, of course, they're protecting Kyle, but Kyle leaves at the very beginning of the battle. Like, True. Like, Arnold loses his skin, and mm-hmm. he's gone. And they send mm-hmm. him up in the elevator, and they have that sweet line, and Kyle is gone for the rest of this fight. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of why the stakes feel lower, is because you're like, well, they can't kill John Connor. And mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. maybe they can kill Marcus, but I don't care about Marcus as much as I care about John. So that doesn't matter. And of course, it does kill True. Marcus, right? And his heart stops, and John has to get him back True. to life. Um, kind of foreshadowing what Marcus is about to do for John. In fact, I think the scariest thing, maybe even in the whole movie, is that sequence where the Terminator actually does stab John through the heart. Because you don't see that coming. At least I didn't. Even watching it this time, knowing that that's what happens, I still gasped a little bit. Because it just, it's startling. It's so startling and it catches you off guard and you kind of forget when exactly it happens because it's so jarring. Yeah. And it they make do- it come out of nowhere. Yeah. And it does kill John and it makes you think, oh, this whole movie has been building up to this because at the very beginning, John talks about how Skynet's building models 10 years before it should be able to. And so mm-hmm. maybe this timeline is changing so drastically that we don't even know what's going to happen next. And John, of course, does survive and is saved by Marcus. Marcus gives him his heart, kind of doing the reverse for what John had just done for him and giving Marcus a second chance while giving John the ability to continue being this leader. But I think that's when the stakes get high is when Marcus dies. Because from that point on, it's very intense. It's very fast. There's so much happening that – look, John can't go against this thing by himself. He just can't. No. He is not, no. he is very ill-prepared and part of that is because of the weaponry he's using because, mm-hmm. you know, the John Connor we're used to seeing, he has an army with laser weapons and of course they mm-hmm. can fight T-800s like that. But with regular bullets, they can't do that same thing. And so John can't go up against it because it's super, it's not even human and he is – and now with Marcus gone, he's screwed. And so I, I really love that scene where he shoots at the, at the liquid magma and it falls on the Terminator uh-huh. and it gets back up and then he shoots on the uh, coolant to freeze it and it still scratches his face and that's the origin of his awesome scar that we know and love from John Connor. But yep. I, I, I love that so much because it, it proves that John really is outmatched. He really is. Mm-hmm. The only reason that Sarah and him were able to survive one of these, or I guess not even one of those, to survive a T-1000 in Terminator 2 is because they had a Terminator with them. The only reason that John is able to survive the TX, him and Kate are able to survive that in T-3, is because they have the 850 with them. And in the first Mm -hmm. film, Kyle dies. Kyle doesn't survive Mm -hmm. because he gives his life for Sarah's. And... 
here you have two two mostly human beings going up against this thing. Of course, neither one of them is going to come out of it dead. You know, one of them isn't mm-hmm. going to make it out. And that makes a lot of sense. So there comes a point in the fight where I think there is there are real stakes and it does feel more intense like Terminator 2's end sequence does. But I think because you have that moment where Kyle leaves up mm-hmm. until the moment Marcus is left alone with the T-800. I think that sequence, um, I, th- I think it's too long. And B, I think it kind of makes you feel like, oh, everything's going to be okay. But then when you find out it yeah. isn't, that's when it gets going exactly. again. Exactly. Well, and I think it, I think it feels long because they don't do as good of a job of kind of separating out the fight sequence to have these different pivotal moments like two does with Arnold losing his arm and Sarah facing it, getting stabbed. And then of course, Arnold dying at the end as well. Um, This one feels like one big scene of launching grenades at this thing and getting thrown around by it. Um, There are some parts though, I will say where it does slow down a little bit and you get kind of a horror aspect Yeah, and it works really well. There's a really brief moment and it's perfect because it, it comes on right after Kyle uh, is topside and he tells Kate that John is in there. Yeah. So it's like this loud, chaotic scene with the helicopter. And then it cuts back to John and he's alone in the factory. And there's yeah. no music and it's ominous and it's kind of scary. And he's looking around and he looks down and he sees Marcus dead on the floor. It's like, oh, crap, yeah. this thing's yeah. still in here with me. And he's kind of like he sees where his gun is at and he's like starts to go there. And then he hears Kyle's voice. And, of course, we as the audience, we immediately panic because we know what that is. John should know what it is, but, of course, he doesn't right away. And he has to at least check it, you know. Yep. So that part is really good. And yes. that part of this this fight scene is one of the better parts for sure. And he comes around the corner and the thing's right there and it's intimidating. Um, and that little horror glimpse is what I want the next film to be so bad. And we have some throwbacks kind of in this scene to one as well as two. We talk about it being reminiscent of two, but of course it's similar to one in that we see the T-800, the its footsteps going up those stairs and clanking, just like we see it follow Sarah and Kyle up the stairs in the first one. Yep. And so slow and intimidating. We also see John hit it really hard with his gun and it whips its face across. And then you see it slowly like turn its head, that iconic look so scary. that it also gives to Kyle. Super good. Those little moments like that. But unfortunately, the rest of it is just a little bit, eh, it, it feels like fluff, um, kind of. But yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I, I, think, I think part of the downfall of this movie is that there are sequences of fluff that feel like oh we're making a big blockbuster movie we need to give our audience room to breathe and i think that's where mcgee the director doesn't trust his audience in the same way that james cameron did i think james cameron understood that you can help the audience breathe while still developing your characters um and creating tension and creating tension and advancing the plot all at once while Mm -hmm. still making the audience feel feel at ease at least a little bit whereas i I don't think they have the same i i that's not the same here in this movie you, you can't there's no point in this movie um where you feel at ease 
and get really great character development at the same time. And I'm not saying that there aren't um, moments of character development throughout the film. I, th- I think there definitely are, especially with Marcus in the scenes he has with Blair. I, th- I think there's some real stuff going on there, but it doesn't feel like there is tension. It doesn't feel like anything is... For example, when they're in the campsite and Blair does the whole I need your body heat thing. Mm-hmm. There's no... They've already defeated these human goons who are out trying to scavenge and, and beat them up and take their stuff and probably rape her. They, they've dealt with that. But there's no looming threat of, oh, a Terminator could show up any minute. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's no tension. There's no... It's not right behind us because it's gone. It Do you took see Kyle how surprised I was? How surprised I was at the thought of that means that me watching this, I've never even considered that a Terminator could show up in that moment. <laughs> right. But but that's but that's an issue of the characters and that's an issue of, honestly, the writing because a Terminator should be able to show up at any moment during that yeah. scene. That, they that, should be more hidden and more concerned in that moment. They should. And yet they're wide in the open. They have a fire going. And mm. even earlier in the film, Kyle says, we don't go out at night because they have infrared and their heat signatures are better so they can actually see better in the dark. Not once do we feel that in that scene. And I think mm. that's... And even at the Resistance base, I feel the same way when John blows up that row of trees and there's yeah. all this explosion. There's never this imminent danger that, oh, a Terminator could see that. But there should be. And so I think we, that's yeah. a huge part of why this movie doesn't feel as intense as a post-apocalyptic film set in a Terminator future should is because they kind of pick and choose when when Terminators are going to be around. I mean, it, when they're in Los Angeles, they only see the one T-600, basically, and some mm-hmm. HKs and stuff like that. But it's mostly just that thing. That's it. Yeah. The future we're used to well, seeing. Well, that's... that's- has hundreds of Terminators walking the streets. And I think that's the difference. That's the perfect example though, is both on the base as well as when they are kind of in their campfire setting there. Um, of just feeling no threat of one of those things showing up. And what's weird. And we talk about, I mean, I talked about how I feel like the, the, the level of intimidation and the stakes being high, it all kind of ends, you and I both said, right around when he meets Blair. Yeah. Um, but, but you do get the sense of a Terminator could show up at any time in the beginning of the movie. Yes. You get that when he's hanging out with Kyle. Yes. You get that from the people in the gas station who are kind of hiding and lure and like, like yep. lurked, lurking in the shadows of this gas station, hiding from it. And you get that. And then it starts to go away. And that's a perfect example of that transition there. I think you nailed it. Yeah. We talked last time when we when we talked about Terminator The Rise of the Machines, the third film, we talked we kind of compared its chase elements to the chase elements in Mad Max Fury Road. And having mm-hmm. just rewatched that movie, um, I think George Miller, the director of that movie, is masterful at creating tension, consistent tension throughout the movie while yes. still giving you room to breathe. Um, that yes. whole movie, they're on the run. The entire movie, they're moving. And there's one exception, and it is the only time they're out of danger because they're actually out of danger during that point yeah. in the film. Um, and it's and it's almost near the end, too. It's not even 
halfway through. It's not at the beginning. It's, it's almost near the end. But throughout the rest of that movie, there is this impending doom that all of these war parties are going to descend on our characters, on our protagonists, our heroes, and take them and kill them and take the, the breeders back. And that's exactly how this film should have felt. The, the mm-hmm. way Mad Max Fury Road makes you feel as an audience member that at any moment something could go wrong, that at any moment they could catch up to them, that we have to keep moving because if we stop, we're dead. That's what Terminator Salvation should have been, at least in terms of tone, and failed to do. And that's why we feel that way in the middle of the film because there came a point where after they take Kyle, they're like, we don't know how to keep this going. We don't know how to keep this tension moving until they get back to chasing Skynet. So we have to put in this, this part here to help the audience breathe, to relieve tension. A little fluff. You don't need that. Yeah. You don't need they it. Add some fluff. Um, and, I, and I don't, don't. even think the scenes are bad. I, I don't. And I think there is good character development. And it doesn't mm-hmm. take me out of the movie exactly. And part of that is because I've seen it so many times. But Sure. But it does release a ton of tension and because we don't see Kyle again until he's in line and then we don't see him again until the very end, mm-hmm. there's no really who we should have been following is Kyle. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that tension he would have would had have the continued. most tension in that moment. Yeah. And so I, I Which think they give us little no go ahead. glimpses of that. They give us little glimpses of him, you know, in Skynet, but. I guess it's hard to create tension with that as well because had Skynet just immediately saw saw him, you know, I guess in this case they put him in a cage, so whatever. Um, they could have just killed him. Yeah, it's hard to create tension there because he wasn't a moment for them to just ultimately win. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, the base is kind of a... It's a tension killer. That whole part is this fluff of kind of a relaxing moment in a way, and it does have good parts, like you mentioned. One of the parts I like is when Blair is tied up and John has to go in there and he's like, why'd you do it? And then she just says, I saw a man, and that's enough for him. Yeah. And it says a lot about their relationship, and I like that. Um, Oh, and it says a lot about John, too. Let him go. Um, But it it does bring up the fact that, like, chase scenes and chase movies – there's definitely a recipe that's successful and that is creating something that feels where the good guys are vulnerable. And that of course creates the tension there and you have to let the good, the bad guys be intimidating. You contrast Mad Max Fury road with, uh, the rise of Skywalker, which is also essentially a chase movie through the whole thing. It's not intimidating. And granted star Wars is supposed to be a little bit more lighthearted, but I would argue also empire strikes back has a lot of chase elements in it and the bad guys are intimidating and you got to let the bad guys win here now and then to keep you invested in the success of the good guys. If you're not worried about the success of the good guys, you're not worried about the story. Right. And I think, I I don't think you have to get rid of the scenes, you know, the, the campfire scene and all that stuff with Marcus and Blair, the stuff at the base. I don't think you have to get rid of it. I think you need to tweak it so that Mm -hmm. there is still this element of danger, especially Mm -hmm. before they get to the base. Between the point Mm -hmm. where they meet and the point where they get to the base, they have to be on edge. And not just from human beings. Yes. It's where they should be most vulnerable, right? They're still out in the open. 
And I think once they get to the base, you can still create a lot of tension once you find out Marcus is a machine also. Once you mm-hmm. find that out, that, that should it doesn't feel, when you watch that movie, like it's a big reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it should feel like it's a big reveal. And Yes. And part of that is because they kind of are like, oh, you're a machine. You're just programmed. And he's like, no, I'm not. And because we followed Marcus the whole movie, we're like, no, Marcus like feels like a real person. He, he he's, yeah. he's a man the same way that Blair sees a man. But, but they don't really handle that well in that scene. Instead, what we should have seen is, well, maybe instead what they should have done is had Kyle, not Kyle, had John say something to the effect of you could be broadcasting our transmission right now. You could be broadcasting our location right now. Just any, anything small Yeah. to yeah. create stakes, to create drama, to give an actual reason for why John wouldn't keep Marcus around, if not just to learn from him. And so I don't well, know. I, I, I think that's where it, where it falls flat. And with that as well, I mean, this we've seen this in the past. This is another, Terminator movie, third time in a row that the trailer has ruined the twist. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and... Um, it's what I all the Terminator I mean, they, movies do. They all do it. It's, well, outside of the big twist with Dark Fate, I guess. But. That's true. They learn then, but they learn on the wrong film. Yeah. It would have been interesting had they not revealed that Marcus was a Terminator. They probably would have needed a different opening scene. Well, maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. But you know what I mean? Trying to hide the fact until it's revealed would have been an interesting thing to go with. It would have been hard story-wise because they do set it up nice in terms of his arc and also just tying into the the, the Christian symbolism sure. as well. You know, trying to introduce his character and then also end with it. Um, it would have been hard to hide that he's a machine, but it also would have been interesting and more impactful had they played that in that way, you know, to where the audience is revealed the same way that John Connor is revealed to it. Right. Well, maybe instead of putting him on the slab, like they see at the beginning of the film, when they get into that little Skynet hub and you see Marcus on the table, maybe he's in a tube. He's floating in a tube, and it looks like he's being experimented on as opposed to being taken apart Mm -hmm. and put back together. Uh, Maybe Mm -hmm. it's something as simple as that that hides the fact that he is actually part machine um, instead of just a subject, an unwilling participant in this experiment, which actually is willing technically. But But yeah, because I, I think there I think there's room for that. You see at the end of the film with the Skynet base that there is this concentration camp of human beings that Skynet has for experimentation. And why couldn't you have been liberating people from one of those at the beginning of the film and Marcus just funnels out with the rest of them, you know? And, and it makes mm-hmm. us think the whole time that, oh, he actually was just one of those people when in fact he was a plant. That would have worked. I think this movie could have really benefited of some more runtime. I think it's about a hundred and what is it like an hour and forty five minutes ish in there. Yeah. Had this movie been like 
two hours and 20, 2.30 even, maybe? 2.30 is probably pushing it. 2.20. I'm going to call it 2.20. (laughs) Round out the story a little bit more. Give it some more elements. Separate out that fight scene a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it could have been a lot more impactful. I think they did what they could with its runtime. And I think that hurt it in the end. Do you want to talk about the... uh, maybe the original plan that they had for this movie, the original direction yeah. they thought it might go. So the original script of this movie actually has John dying. Uh, he, he dies on the table and instead of John Connor, the legend dying on the table, they actually changed Marcus's facial features to look more like John and are going to use him, um, to essentially be, john connor and so marcus Mm -hmm. becomes john connor in the same way that you know someone else could technically take on the mantle of batman um Mm -hmm. if batman were to die like at the end of dark knight rises and so it it, right john connor becomes more of a symbol than an actual human being um and then kills everybody who operated on him and (laughs) and kind of takes over the resistance and makes you wonder oh is he actually good yeah yeah, that was. On, I mean, they they I could have gone either. Yeah, I mean, once you go into the reconstruct John Connor thing, I mean, they they could go either way with that, right? They could say sure. now it's going to be this machine leading the resistance, and it's really more about just the idea of a leader is all humanity needs. Or they could have gone the dark route of having that be Marcus's goal and Skynet's goal all along to just have him be the ultimate infiltrator and kill everybody in there and win. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really like either if I'm being honest. I don't either. (laughs) I I think it's tacky. I think it, uh, it just doesn't sit right. You know, I, I don't like, sometimes it works like Batman could theoretically, Batman is a symbol that makes sense. You know, anyone could be Batman theoretically, um, with enough training, but that's not the case. I don't think with John Connor. You know, there there are characters that only that person is that person for a reason. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. of John's personal connection with Skynet, because of the way his mother raised him, because John, Kyle Reese is actually his father, John Connor because is John, John Connor. He is. And because John was prepared from birth for a future that no one else knew about. Yes. That's what makes him special. Yeah. And because he always rises to the occasion. And the, the Sarah Connor Chronicles kind of plays with this idea a little bit um, in some of their subplots about maybe the John who lives in the future isn't actually John. Maybe it's a machine giving orders. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's Cameron. And we'll talk about that once we actually get into the show, so we're not going to dive in deep here. But I just I, – that's not something I like. I, I like that as a concept on the show and we'll get into that when we cover it. But in terms of the films, that's not something I like. And that's something we'll talk a lot more about on our next episode when we talk about Terminator Genesis because I have a lot of things to say. But um, I, I, I just don't like it. I, I don't like that idea that John Connor has to be replaced, that he is a mantle for someone else to take on. It just doesn't work. And it sounds like the storyline that you would find more so in a spin-off comic book sure. rather than a main a mainline film series. Which is cool. So, like it, it's a cool story, it's a cool idea. Yeah. It's just not something yeah. that 
the general audience is going to accept or want to see. I mean, we all know how people feel about John Connor after the latest two films. Um, people get pissed when he hasn't handled properly. And this was the last film to handle him properly. And so I'm glad that they mm-hmm. did. I'm glad that they went with the ending that they did. Mark is getting his second chance by giving John his heart. It makes sense. It works. And it gives John a new perspective on how to fight Skynet in the future and, and a new perspective on what it means to be human. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I think this one did the best job of trying to do something different um, after two. I, I mean, you yes. can say that Genesis definitely tried to do something different. Don't think it worked, though. Sure. Uh, this I at least like more what they tried to do. I, uh, you know, some things definitely could have been executed better. Um, but they, they definitely expanded a lot more on the story and the world. Whereas three was more of trying to copy what two did. Um, and, uh, you can kind of say dark fate kind of tried to copy what two did as well. Yeah. Um, having, since we watched this one again, you've always, I think, think talking to you before i think you maintain that three maybe you liked a little better i think i know i don't know it, it kind of goes back and forth i really like three and salvation pretty equally i would i would say i just mm-hmm. don't consider salvation as much a terminator movie as i do terminator three terminator three feels more like a terminator movie in the classical sense whereas salvation i would it's, compare more to the book yeah. of eli or man max fury road Three sticks to the formula, right, that was created from two Yeah. Um, that other movies have tried to copy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, that goes back, too, to the difference between um, a movie you like and a movie that you can watch all the time as well. Sure. Some things are more rewatchable. I think for me, uh, I, I definitely used to like three more um, when I was younger. Uh, the more I watch these, though, I, I enjoy Salvation more as an overall movie. Yeah. I like what it dives into. I like what it does. I want it to be better. And uh, I think had they made two more movies, I think it would have really made this one better. It could have made it worse, too. Yeah. But I like the idea of old Christian Bale coming back to finish it out. I and do, And I like the idea of de-aging Michael Bean. <laughs> <laughs> as, as long as they, Jai Courtney isn't playing Kyle Reese, I'm okay. <laughs> uh yeah i think they should do it well i would i would just love to get a franchise I, I would love them to do a timeline where we could finish it out in a sense of i want to go back to one if that makes sense mm-hmm. genesis doesn't do that technically because it's rebooting its own thing and separate right. things this was on the way to bring us back to one, which is what I wanted. And I would love if we could have that someday to where I could watch one on a timeline loop. You know what I mean? Yep. I want to watch it on a loop to where it goes back to the beginning. And hopefully we'll get that someday. Well, maybe that's what this new horror influence film will be. Maybe it will be set Mm. in the future. Maybe it will be, um, the end of the war and you'll actually be able to watch one, two, and then this new film in a loop and it circles each other. That would be sweet. I'd be a hundred percent on board for that. Or the anime, maybe the anime will do it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool too. Well, <laughs> Tanner, if those are your final thoughts on Terminator salvation, 
They are. They are. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this movie. I, you know, whenever I think about post-apocalyptic movies, this is one that comes to mind immediately. Um, I love post-apocalyptic movies. I think they're a lot of fun. I think they're kind of like westerns, but with a more futuristic setting. And I think that's really yes. cool um, as yes. somebody who loves westerns. And although this film feels nothing like a Western, it is very post-apocalyptic and still still has some of those genre elements that I think you find in classic Westerns. So anyway, that's just a, that's just my final two cents. Yeah. So on the next episode, we're going to be covering Terminator Genesis, which is probably both of our least favorite Terminator movie, I would say. Maybe that I don't isn't think we're true. Alone. Yeah, <laughs> it's my least favorite. Yeah, it's it's my least favorite. Also, I, there's a lot to talk about. Don't don't get us wrong. We'll definitely have quite quite a bit of uh, of audio for you guys to seep through. But it'll be a fun episode. It will. It will be a lot of fun. But until then, you guys can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at No Fate Pod. That's again at No Fate Pod. You can go to our website nofatepodcast.com where you guys can contact us you can email us um, just share with us your thoughts on Terminator Salvation or any of the films we'd love to discuss what you guys have or any other insights you guys might have on air we'd love to talk about it so maybe we'll do a mailbag episode if we get enough uh, emails or comments on social media from you guys that'd be really sweet Um, we also kind of have a presence on some of the Facebook fan pages for the Sarah Connor Chronicles so you can probably find us on some of those Um, but until then I'm Michael John Petty with me is Tanner Radwick thank you guys for listening to our coverage of Terminator Salvation and just remember there is no fate but what we make for ourselves and you are the resistance so we'll see you guys next time